0: Welcome to this week's episode of Crime Over Cocktails. How well do you really know the people who are closest to you? Your friends, your family. Do you know what they're capable of? In this episode, we discuss Larry Harris Sr. and the murders that shook a small town community in Sioux City, Iowa. Larry Harris Sr. was born on July 25, 1982. Even as a small child, Larry seemed to have worsening anger issues that just grew throughout the years. His older sister Kat can recall some of the memories she has of him and wonders if maybe there might have been signs of what was to come. Larry needed the spotlight he could not handle if he was not the center of attention. One day that really sticks out to Kat is the day that her and her mom went shopping as a girl's day. When they got home, Leary had trashed his room. He knocked everything over and was throwing things, stomping on things. When his mother told him to clean it, he just screamed, he cursed at her, and he refused to clean it. He was absolutely out of control. Then he decided that he was going to run away. His mother's frantic. Hours later, he calls the house to let him know he's okay. And then he just hangs up. 24 hours later, he walks in the door like nothing had ever happened. He was just standing there smiling. He was happy at what he did. Things started to get worse as time went on. He started to become physical with his sister. He would knock her to the ground, kick her as she lied in a ball waiting for it to be over before she could lock herself in her room until her mom came home from work. She didn't feel comfortable coming out of her room until her mother was home. She just never knew what kind of attitude or what kind of mood he was going to be in. She was very scared of him at this point. That's so sad to grow up like that. It really is. One night, Kat recalls going to her mom's room, and her mother was sitting on the bed crying, saying, something is wrong. He has no remorse, and they don't know what to do. All he wanted was attention. It didn't matter if it was good attention, if it was bad. As long as he was getting the attention, he was happy. As Larry got older, his anger started to decrease, but his behavior got more disturbing. He used to go into the basement. That was like his safe zone. When he would go down there, there was a shrine and he dedicated that to witchcraft. He would sit down there for hours reading books. He would light candles. He would tell spells. He would try to create different ways of doing them. He told his sister, I could get away with murder and no one would know. He would sit down there and he would like to talk about mutilation and sacrifice. It was getting more and more disturbing. As Larry got older, he ended up going to culinary school. He was in there for two weeks when his family got a call that he was in the hospital for carving into his arm with a knife. His family never imagined what they were about to see. They weren't sure what kind of call they were actually getting. But when they arrived they saw that he had carved the upside down cross and an antichrist symbol into his arm. The hospital ended up putting him into the behavioral ward for observation. While he was in the group home he ended up getting a girl pregnant. Nobody really knows whatever happened to that mother but the son was put up into foster care. He was able to see him but only under supervision and that's where he meets Marla. Marla was a single mom of two girls and a boy and she worked as an aide to the disabled, and she also worked in the foster home that helped families reunite with her children. When Marla was there watching Larry with Larry Jr., she actually viewed him as very caring. She watched him play and interact with his son and found him very endearing. He actually drew her in. Within six weeks, Larry moves in with Marla and her three children. Triton, age 11, Kendra, age 8, And Alicia, age six. She talked about how nice it would be to have him in the house. And he actually pulled his weight around there. He used to help the kids with homework. He used to read to them. He used to play games. And her kids were actually happy. She was happy. His sister Kat actually even ended up moving in with the pair and her children. She was no longer scared of him. He had completely changed. That group home did like a 180 on him. She could sit and have a drink with him. She could have conversations. She remembers having fun and laughing. Like, this is the brother she always wished she had. She remembers feeling like, this is great. He was just a different person. He was earning money. He was supporting a family. Larry receives a call saying that his son was coming home for good. He was so excited. He looked at Marla and he said, I can't believe the spell worked. I cast the spell to bring him home, and now he's coming home. He looks so amazed. It worked. Marla was not aware of the spells. This is actually the first time she had ever heard anything about him doing spells, any different kind of religion, anything to that nature. So she was a little shocked. She just said, you know, I, I don't want it around the kids. I don't want you doing it when they're home. I don't want you doing it in front of them. And she kind of viewed it maybe as more like a hobby and didn't really look into the religion side of it. Larry proposes to Marla, and she accepts. Their wedding is on July 8th of 2006. The night before the wedding, she goes to bed, and she has a premonition telling her not to go through with the wedding, that she needs to cancel it. A voice told her, if you go through with this, you will regret it for the rest of your life. When she woke up the next day, she thought about how good of a father he was, how good he was with the kids, how well that he complimented their family. And the feelings started to subside. It was a happy day. She was glad then that she actually did go through with it. Into their marriage, things started to change. Larry grew very paranoid. He would get upset if there were times that she would come home later than usual from work. One time that she can remember is she was 15 minutes the time she would normally come. He simply just freaked out. He wanted to know where she was, who was she with, accused her of cheating, and he interrogated her for 45 minutes to an hour. Finally, she just said, you know what? I won't hang out with them anymore. I will not hang out with my co-workers. And all of a sudden, he just stopped and he walked away. He would get upset when the girl's bedroom would be dirty or messy. He would scream at Marla, telling her that he doesn't want to clean it, he shouldn't be the one that has to clean it, and she would literally say, you don't have to clean it. Nobody asked you to. Don't worry about it. It's not your mess. He looks at her and he says, I can hurt you in the worst way without even touching you with a blank stare. She did not comprehend what this meant. She did not understand, and she was like, okay, but she did realize this is not the man
1: that I married. That's just frightening. Like, that sentence is just, like,
0: spine-chilling. Absolutely. I mean, what do you say to that? It's terrifying. So, after some more time, she stopped hanging out with the coworkers. And so then he started getting jealous of her children. One day, she had the day off, and she was taking the girls to the movie. And he was very upset that she was not hanging out with him. She told him don't worry, honey, you know, later on we'll make time. We'll have our alone time. I just want to take the girls to the movie have a nice girls day. And he looked at the girls and he said, why are these two so needy? And then he just turned around and stormed out of the room. So Marla, of course, is thinking, this is not normal. I just want to hang out with my girls on my day off for a couple hours. I will spend time with you later on. So she goes on and Takes the kids to the movies. Goes on about her day. Kendra, who was nine at the time, got her period. So naturally, Marla has to tell Larry. And he does not take it the way that she expects. He freaked out. He said all kinds of things like, she's not innocent. She's not clean. She's not pure anymore. And Marla says that he said pure probably about three times. That stuck out in her brain. That she is not anymore. Marla just kind of took it as, well maybe he doesn't want to go to the store and have to buy the items. She would never think that it had something to do with his belief. Later on she was recalled saying, I totally missed that sign. How did I miss that sign? It was a normal morning. Marla got ready for work. Larry was already awake. He was in the kitchen making her breakfast. He heated up her car since it was winter at this time. He made her lunch. He made her coffee. Gave her a kiss and said, I love you. Nothing out of the ordinary. Her son, Triton, was at her sister's house for the night. And Kat was still in bed. She was still sleeping because she had to wake up and go to work shortly herself. So when Kat gets up, she starts, she gets ready for work. And she goes into the girls' room to say goodbye. And she says, please go outside and play a little bit today. Go do something. Go have fun. Says goodbye. And she starts her walk to work. About halfway there, she realized she forgot her debit card and for a good half a mile, she recalls fighting with herself to go back to get it, but instead she decided she was going to keep on walking. Marla's at work and receives a phone call that her house is on fire. When she gets to the house, she is redirected to the hospital. As soon as she got to the hospital, A nurse then directed her to a police officer that was on the scene and told her to call someone to come and sit with her and she just said, I want to see my girls. The officer said, you must wait for the chaplain. She was confused. I don't need a chaplain. I just want to see my girls. The police officer put her in an interrogation room and then revealed that they do not believe the fire was an accident. That, it, in fact, it was a homicide. Marla is absolutely dumbfounded. The cops asked Marla if she thinks that Larry could do this, and without hesitation, she said no. There's no way he's a great dad. So this is when Marla finds out the details about
1: the murder of her children. So getting into the crime, on the day of January 6, 2008, at 4.19 p.m., the firefighters of Sioux City, Iowa, responded to an arson call and someone was reporting a fire in the basement of the family's home when the firefighters got there they found larry's two stepdaughters dead in their second floor bedroom at this time kendra was 10 and alicia was eight when the police arrived larry calmly told them that the children were dead in their bedrooms. he admitted he was the only adult present at the time and marla the girl's mother was not at home she was at work larry had blood on him that the officers noted and told the police that he had been performing rituals and he cast a spell that had gone bad and could have severe consequences. DNA from Kendra was found on his shoe. Larry told police that he cast a spell to straighten out his 13-year-old stepson. So he was very upfront about what had happened, which the police did note in their account and in testimonies. Larry's stepson, Triton, said that he did not get along with his sisters. And Larry said that he had done the spell before in order to get custody of his son. At the time... That Tiffany mentioned that he got his son out of foster care. He did a spell that granted him custody of his son. So he felt he could do the spell again successfully to help get his life on track and help his stepson uh, stay out of trouble and help his life get on track. At this time, Marla knew more about Larry's religion and that he practiced witchcraft and she knew of his religious beliefs, but she did at this time ask him to keep it out of the home as they were against her religious beliefs. She also noted that he had never introduced her to anyone else who shared his beliefs and he mostly kept it to himself. So she wasn't really thinking of it that much, but he did explain to her more in detail that this was his religion around this time. The firefighters noted that the fire had only caused superficial damage in the basement, so it was apparent at this time that it was intentional. And at the scene, Larry voluntarily talked to investigators. He was very candid about, you know, the events and what led up to this fire. So it was evident, however, that the girls died of strangulation and stab wounds. So that kind of baffled police at this time. When they did a search of the home in the basement, the officers found candles, Larry's ritual knife, DNA from the girls, a symbol of Baphomet, I might be saying that wrong, but Baphomet represents Satan and is believed to have occult power. They also found bells and amulet with an inverted pentagram down there as well. And all of these items they found out are used in rituals that are described in the Satanic Bible. Police assumed at this time that he lit the fire to dispose of evidence, potential evidence, at the scene in the basement. Larry then volunteers the information that he had a notebook in the closet that he shares with Marla with spells in it. This notebook contained drawings from the book Pagan Ways, uh, references from the book Necronomicon, and page numbers correlating to the pages in the Satanic Bible. Larry then further tells police that he believes that he was possessed by the goddess Kali, and Kali is a Hindu goddess of time and change, but she's also associated with death and destruction, and he says he serves her. Prior to this day, Larry did know that he did stop taking his medications, and a little further background on Larry, he does have a history of self-harm, social isolation, and mental illnesses. He was hospitalized three times for previous suicide attempts. He does know in future interviews that his mom was verbally abusive to him as a child, and Recently, after he stopped taking his medications, he was reported and in becoming increasingly threatening and more and more frightening as time went on off of the medication. At the crime scene, criminologist Kristen C. Evans took samples of different DNA and spots in the home. DNA from Alicia was found on Larry's hands at the time of the arrest, and DNA from Alicia was also found on Larry's ritual knife, which, mind you, is 12 inches long, and was found on the top shelf of his bedroom closet. Fingerprints from Larry were also found on the knife as well. Now, at this time, Marla does admit that she knew about the spell book in their closet, but she said he kept it on a high enough shelf so the kids couldn't reach it. So it was kind of like out of sight, out of mind for her and the children. Marla didn't really believe that the children knew anything of his religion or of Wicca or paganism. However, in the summer of 2007, when the two girls attended their church's club, Genesis, for at-risk children, at this time, they kept asking the bus driver questions about the sinfulness of practicing witchcraft. Clearly, they found out about it somehow. It's not known if they found his, his notebook or he was talking to them about it in secret, but they clearly knew about practicing witchcraft and felt it was wrong. I mean, I feel if they went down to the basement, they had to see something Yeah, and that's what I'm kind of confused about also because he had altars. So unless he put the altars up, practiced, and then took them down, or maybe they weren't allowed in the basement. But clearly the girls knew about it in some way, shape, or form. Yeah,
0: something.
1: Something was going on in the house, and police really didn't know what. Now, in the interrogation room at the police department, Marla was allowed to go in and talk to Larry. Larry told her at this time, and this is a quote from Marla, that... She states he was doing it to protect my son. He said he was trying to help us. And she went on to say that he said he must have said the wrong thing in the ritual, in the spell. And after the ritual, he just had no memory of what happened and that he must have blacked out. So he just, he said he said the spell. He remembers that. But at that point, he just blacked out from any events that happened after that. In the video recorded interviews with police, Larry did state that he was responsible for Kendra and Alicia's death because he was the spellcaster, but he denied murdering them. In a quote from Larry, he says, quote, Now, if I called a god wrong, if I turned the wrong way, if I had the altar on the wrong wall, if I said the wrong things, if I said the wrong words, dire consequences. Larry was interviewed for four hours in total, and he stated that the spell must have reversed itself and backfired, because when he came back home from the grocery store with his son, he went to the grocery store to buy his son juice, When he came back later in the afternoon, the house was just filled with smoke from the basement. And during the interview, Larry just talked nonstop. He cursed, he cried, he rocked back and forth. He was just obviously in distress. He was just acting very, very odd and very bizarre. And in the video recordings, he states often, quote, what did I fucking do? Why the fuck am I here? During the interview, Larry described himself as a solitary witch to police. He even got up and demonstrated how he did the spell to the police officers. In the interview, he told the police officer that he lit a black candle, he sprinkled tobacco ashes, put a paper pentagram on the east wall, and then he lit five more candles individually. He then pulled out and rang a bell to cleanse the air, turned counterclockwise in each direction, and recited the spell that he said took him eight months to learn. He was really trying to get the spell right, according to Larry. That's dedication. It is dedication, yeah. He is quoted in saying, it is done. He blew out the candles, threw the wax off the side that he normally did, and he just put all his ritual items away. So after he cast the spell around 1.30 p.m., he did go upstairs, he says, to check on the girls. He opened their door. He kind of called out to them, but they didn't respond. So he said he thought that they were just asleep. He said between 2 and 4... That afternoon, this is when the Hindu goddess Kali possessed him. That Kali started the fire as vengeance against him for not respecting all of the magical laws. He felt that she was kind of lashing out against him. So at the trial, the defense obviously pled insanity with his claims. Helen Berger, a sociology professor at the Westchester University in Pennsylvania, said that Wiccans, they're not about violence and they're not about killing. And she went on to say that Wiccans believe that everything and anything they do, good or bad, will come back on them threefold. So she said this had nothing to do with his religion, as he was claiming, or with any gods or goddesses, that this was a solitary, singular event in his life. And she also testified that the inverted pentagram found at the scene of the crime, it's not part of Wiccan practices. And he claimed that he was a Wiccan. So she kind of found that odd that he's claiming this and these practices and these rituals aren't part of the Wiccan religion. A forensic psychiatrist also testified that the crime scene showed, quote, a knowledge of wrongfulness. The psychiatrist felt that he knew what he did was wrong and probably attempted to cover up certain things At the time, due to either shock or he just knew what his actions were wrong. Now, Tracy Gunter, she's an associate professor at the St. Louis University. She assessed Larry for a total of 18 hours. And this was while he was in custody at the Iowa Department of Corrections. And she said that earlier in Larry's life, he did admit that he had an epidermoid cyst removed from under his skull. And this surgery left him with seizures for the rest of his life. So she did testify that she does believe that on the day of the murder, Larry met the criteria for what's called sad mood and personality disorder, but he was not legally insane at the time. So he did exhibit signs of a personality disorder, but the insanity defense, she just did not believe that he had at the time. Larry also told her that he did not believe in possession or that the Hindu goddess Kali had taken his body over at the time. Eventually, throughout the trial, many psychiatrists, many experts uh, came up in defense, in testimonies. But all in all, Larry was found guilty on two counts of murder in the first degree. And he will serve two life sentences to be completed consecutively. He will never get out of jail. He is never going to get out of jail at all.
0: So Marla was then quoted saying, after everything was said, done, you know, she let everything kind of sink in about how did she miss the signs, how how did it get here, how did we get there, how did we get this far, and then all of a sudden, she knew what Larry meant, when he said, I can hurt you in the worst way without even touching
1: you. And that's really the sad part, um, you know, for me, just thinking back on this case and the facts of the case, like, obviously for me, and you know, I'm, I'm a very... Big bleeding heart. For me, I think he did this purposefully and maliciously. Um, Tiff and I did read different articles, like she had mentioned earlier, with her getting home late. That he thought that she might be having an affair, and that might have been a potential motive for him to get back at her by harming and murdering her children. That was never confirmed nor denied. That was just a point that they brought up, but. I just feel like this story is terrible. Like you you marry a man and and nobody ever had any suspicion of him of being not a good guy. And it's even quoted that the girl's uncle, he's quoted in saying, "I always thought he was a nice guy." I guess everybody's got their secrets. Even the girl's grandfather, Harvey Hansen said, and this is a quote again, I mean, he loved them, he hugged them, he did pretty much everything for them, as far as I know. Even their father, who didn't have contact with them for two years at this time, he thought he was a stand-up guy as well, but he even said, I guess you don't really know people. So, he really fooled everybody in his life. Sociopaths and stuff, like, they're good at that. Oh, for sure. That's, it's like the turn of a light switch. Which is so sad, because you figure, like, as You know, a single mom of three children, you think you meet this great dad, this great guy who probably had, you know, some unsavory circumstances leading up to this in his life. But, I I mean, even his sister thought that he had changed and you said done a
0: complete 180. Oh, she, I mean, she was just absolutely over the moon. Yeah, she was actually very impressed. Uh, She figured Marla had changed him. He was a new man. He was a family man. He had never been able to hold down a job. He had never been able to even take care of himself. Never mind a whole family. Like, he literally turned his life completely around. Yeah, and he he viewed the kids, I believe I even read, as like his own kids.
1: He wasn't like, these are my stepchildren. He really made a family unit with Marla and her kids. And adding in his son to it, they just had some solid solid family unit. And it's just like you said,
0: something snapped in him one day and he just... I don't know if it went back to like the attention where, okay, so at first, you know, you were hanging out with your co-workers and you're home a little later than I would like. Okay, that's one thing. Now let's not forget remember when his mother and his sister went out shopping. Oh, on the girls' and, day. Yes, and left him. So I don't know if maybe... Her taking the girls to the movies was like a trigger to that him and it's like i'm not valued i'm not whatever he was feeling back then when he was going into rages and tearing up the house mm-hmm. and doing all that obviously he was feeling some type of way inside and i don't know if maybe those feelings had came back and resurfaced yeah i mean it's very plausible that is plausible because, I mean, I read a couple of articles
1: and interviews where he, he kind of went in depth. Like, he said his mom had verbally abused him a lot as a child, and he often ran to a neighbor's house as, like, a hideout and a safe haven. Obviously, when you're abused as a child verbally, physically, any type of way, or you even witness abuse, I mean, that stays with you, and those are his formative years. I can kind of see your point as to where, you know, his mom and his sister, when he's a child, went on a girl's date. And then Marla wants to take her daughters on a girl's day to the movies, and that could have really had him transfer back to how he felt as a child, with, like, his mom, maybe he felt his mom was abandoning him, not giving him enough attention, she was taking Cat out, and he kind of lashed out that way as an adult, because I've heard a lot and read a lot about that happens. I mean, one never knows what he's thinking, but the the two do seem to correlate to me. No,
0: absolutely, and that, that's why I say that, especially because if that was a trigger for him, her taking the girls to the movies from when his sister and the mother used to go out, it might have even brought him back to that, like, immaturity level, to that childish, to where you're not really thinking clear. I mean, what grown adult is going to start a fire in one room? You you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if the mentality was was actually there at the point. I also wonder with this surgery, because, you know, brain surgery obviously is a big deal.
1: And he had a cyst removed around and in his brain. That has to leave a mark as well, depending on where it is. And I honestly, I didn't look into like where that cyst is located on the brain, like the right or left hemisphere, but it left him with seizures. So you have to also assume that that kind of left him, that left him scarred. And You know, how one processes things after a brain surgery, I feel like science and medicine can't fully know to an extent, so maybe that had something to do with it. But I also feel like despite all that, his story flip-flopped back and forth so many times that for me, I would normally be able to say... You know, his brain surgery, his childhood, you know, XYZ events might have led to this where I can kind of not understand it, but see how things could have led there for him and his mindset. However, he's just very candid with the police when they come to the crime scene, almost like you're proud of it. He's noted in saying, very nonchalant, the girls are dead upstairs, and I'm the only adult here. And- You know, whatever he said. And it wasn't like, oh my god, frantic. I don't know what I did. I don't know what happened. The girls are dead. It was just very calm and matter of fact. The girls are dead upstairs. And not only that, he tells police that he was possessed by this Hindu goddess, Kali. Then when the sociologist interviews him, he's like, I don't believe in possession. I don't think she possessed my body at this time. So it's like, I feel like he's flip-flopping. And obviously that's the defense's only... Chance for a Hail Mary is pleading insanity, but I feel like he's also not helping his case. Just a lot doesn't make sense to me
0: of his behavior. Well, funny thing is that a lot of doctors will tell you though, people who are very smart and they are kind of sociopaths, they know what traits, they know what they need to say. They know how they need to act there'd be stories and someone's rocking in a chair when do they really feel they have to right no it's to create scene, like an ambiance illusion because they want that stamp oh i'm crazy don't put me in prison you know what i mean what i'm seeing in all these articles
1: and stuff is that he wasn't like fully committed to that because i have also seen stories on different shows read articles of different people and like i've Dive deep into, like, people before where they, like, a 100% commit to this insanity defense. And they, like, to the sentencing. They're like, I don't know. I don't remember what happened. They're fully putting on the show physically for police and interviews. But for Larry, I feel like he flip-flops
0: back and forth. Like, he goes in and out. What I think that means is he's not sure if they're buying it. Right. So, okay. They seem to be buying the... So now I'm doing a ritual and... They might believe that part, but then when they start saying something else, they might see that mm, it maybe not be as plausible or they're not following as well. So then it's like, okay, back to square one. Where do I go from here? Yeah. Now I got to come up with, oh, okay, I'm also having hallucinations. and Well, he did know that he hadn't had hallucinations
1: for 10 years prior to this. So that's why I'm. it just confuses me because he goes... Where he's fully committed to this scene. I I believe I'm insane. I believe I was possessed. I believe that this happened. That I was not in control of my body. That Callie lit this fire. I don't know how the girls died. I don't know how they were stabbed. How they were tied up. I, I don't know any of this. But then in later interviews, he's like, no, I don't believe that I was possessed. No, I haven't had hallucinations. Like, he admits to a psychiatrist. I... I went off my medication, like he volunteers all this stuff. So I just don't for me, like, it's just confusing for me how he goes back and forth so easily. Because if I'm thinking in the mindset of Larry, I would want to commit 100% to this insanity defense. That's really your only defense. That's your only option at this point, because there's so much evidence against you within the items of the home, the items the police found in the basement, Your own admission of you did a ritual, you did a spell that you said quote-unquote backfired, and now two young girls are dead. But then in later interviews, you're like, no, I don't really believe this. So it's like, for me, it's like, if you're trying to help yourself and you're trying to commit to this insanity defense, why are you then going out of that mindset that's only
0: hurting you? Unless they're going for multiple personalities. Mm -hmm. Because... When one of identity. Yeah, when one personality takes over, yes. supposedly they don't know what that person does. So you could have been talking to the one Larry and he's like, Yeah, this is what I did. And then whoever it is steps in and is like, What are you talking about?
1: Side note to that if you ever saw the movie with John Cusack, I think it's called Identity. Oh, it's so good. So good, you guys. It's no, <laughs> like good. literally love that movie and that just reminded me of it no that's
0: actually it's a really good side i know yeah
1: it's a really good if y'all didn't see it watch it because it's so good
0: yeah i was kind of on the Sybil track but that's so old <laughs> it, yeah go <laughs> on identity <laughs> yeah
1: that, that just reminded me of it but i mean that could be the case but i just i don't know like i feel like i don't think anyone will know girl nobody's gonna know of course except larry and i'm thinking in the mindset of marla right single mom Three kids, right? Mm -hmm. You think you find this gem of a guy. You know, he's been dealt a bad deck. His kid's in foster care. You know, working in the foster care system. She may or may not know why. Maybe, you know, the mom, you know, we did read that he had worked with social workers because uh, Larry Jr. had signs of fetal alcohol syndrome. So clearly his mom was not in the right mindset pregnant. Well, don't forget that they met in the home. Right. That's what I'm saying. So she might be thinking this guy had a crappy life, a crappy upbringing. He's trying to get his son back. I'm a single mom. Like I said, the dad of the three kids was not really involved in their lives. Like he hadn't even talked to the girls for two years prior to their murder. And he was even quoted in saying that he wished he knew them better. Maybe she was thinking, oh, you know, you know, this man's trying, he, he's working hard at this. He could be a great asset to our family. And in the beginning, like you said, he was a great asset to the family. And then can you just, I'm just putting myself in her, her position right now, where as a single mom, then this man that you trusted with your two girls and your son, he has a son himself, you guys, you know, blended families, And then he goes and does this, the amount of betrayal and anger and guilt that you must have for bringing this man into your home. How do you even recover from that? I don't know how you process it. And that just goes to show, do you really know people? He fooled literally everybody in his life, his sister, in her life, the uncles, the grandpa. Everyone was like, this is a good dude. He's good for the family. And then,
0: all of a sudden, double murder. And two children are dead. It's a travesty. It's something that should have never happened. And this should go out as a warning to people. I mean, it it just sucks because, honestly, you really do... You don't know people. You could be friends with somebody 20, 30 years. You Mm -hmm. could be married to someone 50 years. And you really don't know what people are capable of. And you never know what people's triggers are because... Even if he
1: had talked about his childhood to Marla, you know, he might not have said things about his mom and his sister. He might, you know, you don't know what people divulge and you just never know. And especially with like children being involved, I feel like parents, you know, dads and moms need to be very, very careful. This is a frightening story to me, not only because, in my opinion, It had nothing to do with Wicca. It had nothing to do with paganism. It had nothing to do with rituals. I really think that this was just a Larry Harris Sr. problem, and he was mad at Marla for something, maybe spending too much time with her girls, and he felt abandoned. Maybe he flashed back to childhood trauma with his mom and his sister, and he wanted to lash out. But I feel like there were so many signs, even from childhood, that probably could have prevented this had he been given access to the appropriate help because he did admit that he did go off his medication but i just feel like this could have completely been avoided had he stayed on his medication i don't know if he was on a therapy regimen but gone to work those out gone to talk to a
0: therapist therapy can do wonders
1: i love therapy I think everybody on earth should see a therapist if you have an issue or not it's just a third party review or help or highlight of your life like I just think everybody should go to therapy honestly but I feel like Larry didn't necessarily put his mental health first and I don't know if he thought he was better because I know a lot of times I read that when people are on medication for a while for different uh, mental illnesses that they're seeing signs of improvement, so they're like, "Oh my god, I'm better." So then they take themselves off the medication, and then shit goes haywire. So I don't know if that's what he was thinking—that he's a hundred percent better, and I don't need this medication anymore. And then things start creeping up from his past, and he's trying to like put it on Wicca and paganism. But I just feel like you know, had his mental health been uh, more at the forefront of his
0: mind, that. These two girls would probably still be alive. Absolutely. But I mean, when you're talking about somebody that's in that state of mind. Oh, for sure. You don't ever recognize. No. I'm great. Things are going great. I don't need this stuff. Let, let's get <laughs> off of it. And then it's just, it becomes a spiral that you just can't get control of. Yeah. And I
1: mean, I did read also interviews with a social worker who worked with him uh, in the foster care system with his son, because his son did show signs of fetal alcohol syndrome. And she was even interviewed and she said, I didn't see any signs. I felt he was a loving father. He was a caring father. You know, he had reported anger issues in the past, but that, you know, was long gone in the rearview mirror. And it's
0: just honestly, like you said, it's just a travesty. It's just horrible. Well, that's all we have for you for this episode of Crime Over Cocktails. I hope you enjoyed the story. Thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. And we will talk crime another time. And we do want to end on, we have a second Patreon subscriber. Scott M. Scott M. (laughs) Thank you for your support. We really appreciate everybody who's been sending us the love and the appreciation. And now we do have our Patreon,
1: just a quick reminder, patreon.com, backslash Over Cocktails. Our tiers do start at $3, that's the minimum, $3 per month. That's only $36 a year. $36 a year, and you know, you're getting access to all our Crime Over Cocktails goodies. You know, your $3 tier is going to get you a shout out live on our next episode, and it's going to get you access to our Crime Over Cocktails exclusive Discord server. Now, for those of you who don't know what Discord is, let me just tell you, Discord is an online community. It's invite-only, and it's just basically a chat room where we can all, including Tiffany and I, your hosts, uh, we can all talk about the crimes that we're talking about. We're going to have different channels for each episode where we can all continue a chat about it, different theories, different evidence, uh, things you may note about the case, share your
0: thoughts, your opinions. Let us know if you have any questions, if maybe you have read on this same story and there's something that you would like to add or any of our stories to say. And the fun thing is you're going to be interacting directly with your host on a
1: private little chat room. So that's cool. Then our tiers go up to $5, $10, $50. You're going to have different options, including live chats with your host, specific voting powers on different episode topics. You get to include your episode topics. So really, Patreon, go check it out. I mean, we have a lot of cool stuff. However, we know in these times of uncertainty now in our society that people might be strapped for money. You might not be able to subscribe to Patreon. So you might be asking yourself, how can I support the show, not financially? Well, funny you ask that. You can go on our Instagram page, our Facebook page, our YouTube page, Spotify, apple Podcasts, give us that five-star review give us your feedback leave a comment like subscribe and also spread the word spread the love give your friends and family a recommendation to listen to our podcast see if they might like it i mean word of mouth is supporting our show also so anything you guys can give us back we appreciate we love you all for your support so far can't wait till next time and we'll see you next week for our next case file